we're starting 40 days of prayer. Um, this is along with our Greater Alliance family. And uh, if you're newer with us and you're like, I've had multiple conversations about kind of what our denomination is and what it's all about. Um, and so, and if you're not newer with us, and just as a reminder, we're part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance or the Alliance for short. Um, and so what that means is we're part of a family of churches. Uh, and I failed to mention if the kids, if you haven't already gotten your coloring sheets or adults, if you want to color, they're right back there. Uh, and they are also based on the Lord's Prayer. So everybody's kind of on the same page today. Um, so why would we want to be part of a denominational family uh, of churches? Why would we want to sort of link ourselves in that way? Well, um, I think days like today and series like today are kind of a highlight of one of the really pro things about being part of a bigger family of churches. Um, I love the idea of being part of a bigger family of churches and knowing that most of them in our country, in the United States at least, are doing, hearing the same words, thinking the same things, and uh, learning about the same uh, text of scripture as they go through this 40 days of prayer as well. Um, that's part of the same reason why I love these, uh, some of these ancient church practices. It links us not across geography, but across time with Christians from all over the world. And so um, this is a kind of an expression of that. And so um, I, I'm going to do my best to keep this part of our time short and sweet because our kids are with us and I'm very aware of that. Uh, and so if you have a Bible, open it to Matthew 6. Today we're just going to really look at verse 9, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Um, you just read this verse aloud a minute ago. Uh, and, and maybe some of you were like, what about the thine is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever? Amen. Uh, that's not in the text of Matthew. That's uh, kind of added later as part of church tradition. Great stuff. Uh, but we just wanted to read from Matthew chapter 6 for the Lord's Prayer. And so Matthew 6, verse 9 is really all we're going to focus on. Now, uh, the Lord's Prayer um, has been and will always be uh, the greatest prayer in the church, the greatest prayer of the church. From the earliest of the church fathers, uh, all the way down through the theologians, all the way down to the church today, even things like, if you're familiar, the Westminster Confession is based around the Lord's Prayer. Um, there are thousands of sermons and studies, tons of stuff, uh, confessions, creeds based around the Lord's Prayer. And so, again, no doubt, it is the single greatest prayer in the history of the Christian church. And although we call it the Lord's Prayer, uh, and maybe you want to sign with me a petition to change the name to the Disciples' Prayer, uh, because that, that's actually a better name for it. It's going to stay called the Lord's Prayer because there's too much uh, history in that name. Uh, and the reason I say that it should be the Disciples' Prayer is because actually it's the disciples who request this. If you go to Luke's Gospel, you'll see this in Luke chapter 11. Uh, they ask Jesus how to pray. Uh, and in Matthew's account, he's teaching them how to pray. So it's not for Jesus. In fact, what's interesting about it, Jesus could actually never pray this prayer completely uh, because he asked for forgiveness of sins and Jesus has never sinned. Uh, this is a central doctrine for us as Christians, right? That Jesus is without sin. Uh, so that's really important for us to know. So he's teaching the disciples and through inspiration and what we believe about how we got our Bible, he's teaching you and I as well. Uh, and so there are six petitions uh, that line up nicely with six weeks of a sermon series. So I like that the Alliance did that. And they are really, they're perfect for everybody who's ever lived, even uh, you kids that are in here as well. And so first, you'll see in the first three requests, if you look at the Lord's Prayer, uh, they have to do with God. So Jesus starts with God, right? And then the last three requests are for sort of our well-being. So here's the pattern. 
in, in all of life, in the Lord's Prayer as well, God first, then us, right? Not the other way, God first, then us. Uh, and if you're familiar with the Old Testament, this actually parallels the Ten Commandments. The first four have to do with God's glory. The last six have to do with sort of our, uh, our response to that, our well-being in that. And so, I mean, of course it is because Jesus is teaching us, but this is the perfect prayer. This is the ideal prayer. And Jesus is saying to us and to the disciples, here is how you should pray. Uh, Bonhoeffer said this, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He said, the Lord's Prayer is not merely the the pattern of prayer, it is the way Christians must pray. The Lord's Prayer is the quintessence of prayer. Now, let's go on the other side of this. That doesn't mean that you recite the Lord's Prayer as your prayer all the time. Okay, It's the perfect pattern for followers of Jesus because it's patterned after what Jesus laid out for us. And the depth of the Lord's Prayer, you can never... We could just talk about the Lord's Prayer every week and it would never lose its depth and meaning. Okay? No matter how far along you grow in your theological acumen, you can always come back to the Lord's Prayer and it's going to be meaningful. Uh, and, but here, here's the thing. Very often, the Lord's Prayer gets kind of mindlessly repeated, right? Instead of genuinely prayed. And what's kind of crazy about that, in, in those traditions that maybe tend to overdo that, um, it's really ironic because if you look two verses before where we just read, Jesus explicitly teaches to not do that. What does he say? When you pray, which, right, pause, not if you pray, not when you feel like praying. When you, It's an assumed practice in the follower uh, of God and in, the, in our case, the follower of Jesus. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Don't pray out of just rote repetition, Jesus says. Don't use, uh, the NASB renders that, don't use meaningless repetition. That's a good way to put it. And so there's a danger for all of us. Uh, the seeming danger, right, is that the, the old saying, familiarity breeds contempt. Right, that's kind of that idea. And that certainly can be true. But let me just also push back again the other, I feel like Fiddler on the Roof, right? On the other hand, but on the other hand, if that's your concern, that, well, I don't want to do rote repetition, so I'm not going to use the Lord's Prayer. Let me just push back on you the same way I would push back on you if you were to say to me uh, that same thing about any other Christian practice, right? I've had this conversation so many times in my sort of serving in, the, in our stream of the church about taking communion every week. This is the same pushback you get. And here's what I would say to that. It's not the practice that's changing. It's you. Right? The Lord's Prayer didn't get dead and, and dry. That's you if it's becoming that way. So if the Lord's Prayer has become just empty repetition for you, it's, again, not the prayer that has become dry and, and dull. It's you. So don't stop praying as Jesus taught us. Stop praying as if these words are just a formula to get you what you want. And instead, see this prayer renewed and filled with life once again. I would, I would just coach you that way with any Christian practice. If it's becoming dry and dull, push through that. Continue to pursue Jesus in that form if, uh, if you can. And so uh, to kick, this, uh, kick off seeing this prayer as renewed, let's look at just the first couple words. Our Father. Right Now this is a big deal. It's not that big of a deal for us because we're used to saying Heavenly Father when we pray. Thanks to this prayer, actually, it's a pretty revolutionary moment. 
Uh, it, it doesn't seem out of the ordinary for us who kind of are part of this stream of Christianity and this part of history because we, we hear the Lord's Prayer. But this is revolutionary in Jesus' day. This is different for him. Uh, the writers of the Old Testament, they definitely believed in the fatherhood of God. So we're not saying that this is a brand new idea no one ever thought of before. No. But um, they saw God as father mainly in terms of like sovereign creator father. Right. A, a different sort of way to look at it. In fact, God is only referred to as father 14 times in the old, in the entire Old Testament. All 39 books, 14 times is God referred to as father. And even then, it's sort of an impersonal father. Right. Maybe the way that we would think of calling our dad dad versus calling him father. Right. I don't call my dad father unless I'm being sarcastic I call him dad because that's his personal name for me. Uh, and so in, in the Old Testament, those 14 occurrences of father, it was always used in reference to the nation, not to individuals. And so you can look from Genesis to Malachi and you're not going to find anyone speaking uh, of God as father in the way that Jesus is doing here. Yes, I hear them babies in the back too. Yeah, they're praying. That's right. I like that. In Jesus' day... Uh, on top of that, his contemporaries, they had so focused on the sovereignty and the transcendence of God, which we need a little bit, right? We need, we need to focus on that. But they had so focused on it that they were careful never to even speak his covenant name, Yahweh. Which, for me to just do that right now, means we're in a different era. And so what they did, if you've ever heard the word Jehovah, right? You know that word? Uh, that's a combination of two separate names of God so that they could feel free to say that. Uh, and so there was distance between them and God. So to feel personally near to God is kind of a foreign idea uh, in, in this day. And I think for many of us, it is as well. Um, but when Jesus comes on the scene, he addressed God only as father. He always says father. He never used anything else, which is kind of crazy, right? All his prayers address God as father. The gospels in just those four books... Um, they record Jesus using Father more than 60 times in reference to God. So this is a striking thing. It's, it's so striking that there are scholars who would tell you that the word Father really summarizes sort of the, the difference between the Old and the New Testament. That, that's a good marker of the difference between the two. Uh, no one had ever prayed in, in all the history of Israel like Jesus. No one called God Father this way. But, but to understand why, we have to know the word that he's using. And this actually happened to me just with the team that was here earlier as we were uh, getting ready to pray for the service. My little one back there came up to me. I was doing something. I was in the middle. I think I was in the middle of praying. And all I heard was da-da, 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 right? And what did I do? Did I say, not now, child? I'm no. I, I just picked her up and I just was present with her. Yeah. Exactly. And so Jesus used a word for father that's not a formal word. He used kind of an equivalent to that word. He used the word Abba. And you may hear that word still spoken in some places today. It means something like daddy, but it's got a little bit more reverence to it. It's kind of in between the very formal and the very impersonal. And so the best rendering might be something like dear father or dearest father 
Uh, and so uh, there's a German New Testament scholar. I know I'm going to butcher this name, but I think it's Joachim Jeremias. Um, he has argued that Abba was the original word um, on Jesus' lips here in the Lord's Prayer and in all of his prayers in the New Testament, except for when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is actually a quote of Psalm 22. And then he immediately goes back to saying, Father Abba, with his final words, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And so the word Abba was the word that Jesus regularly used to address God. He regular, that was his normal word. But, but here's what's interesting. If you examine the culture, the, the literature of that day, they didn't use it of God. And so to the traditional Jew, this was a little bit of a shock to hear this. Now, I want you to listen to this. This is a quote from that German scholar. This blew my mind when I read this. In the Lord's Prayer, listen to this little sentence. Jesus authorizes his followers to repeat the word Abba after him. Think about that. When Jesus says, here is how you should pray, and he starts with Abba, Father. He's telling you, call God Abba. He gives them, he goes on, he gives them a share in his sonship and empowers them as his disciples to speak with their heavenly father in just such a manner, trusting in just such a familiar, trusting way as a child would with his father. And we talk, we've talked about this before, but that kind of language connotes relationship and it connotes access, right? Who is going to, if my wife wakes me up in the middle of the night and says, can you get me a drink of water? I'm going to be like, your legs don't work. Go get your own water, right? Like, but if one of them babies comes in and says, Dad, Daddy, I need some water, guess what? I'm going to get up and get some water. Now, I would get my wife water, but follow me for the illustration, right? You know what I'm saying. Right? We've talked about that before. Like, who can access the king in the middle of the night? Their kids. The ones who can call them Dad. So, Jesus shifts. This is a transforming reality that's happening here in this prayer from Jesus. He is shifting the fatherhood of God from a high theological doctrine, which it is, into an intensely personal experience. And he is teaching his disciples, authorizing his disciples, this same level of worshipful intimacy. So our Father, our Abba, this is the starting point for prayer life and therefore our worship life as well. So then... Is there, this is a question for us, is there this sense of this intimate, personal fatherhood in your life with God? That's not a question to induce guilt, it's a question to invite. And so addressing God as Abba, as dear Father, is not only an indication of spiritual health, and this, this is a little bit of a hard word for us, but it can be a mark of the authenticity of our faith, Paul says in Galatians 4, and because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. And so the impulse, the desire to want to call God Abba is a sign of being God's child. In my experience in, in church ministry and then a little bit as a foster parent as well, I have had kids call me dad who should not call me dad. And it's weird. Because there's not that relationship there yet. That's a sign of brokenness, actually. 
But for my children to call me dad makes complete sense. True believers are compelled by this love that we have for God the Father to call him that. Romans 8 says the same thing. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Do you want to know if you're God's child? Do you want to call him father? Do you desire that? Maybe it's hard for you. I get that. It's weird for me sometimes. I totally get it. But do you want to? Do you have that desire in you? I think in our Alliance family, this is part of what we talk about when we talk about this thing called a crisis experience of faith. If you haven't heard that yet, uh, you just haven't been in an Alliance church quite long enough. But what is this? This is when you experience those moments where your faith is tested. You have to deal with questions that none of us want to deal with. You know, the questions we keep down buried deep. But then life says, no, you're going you're gonna to think about those right now. Uh, maybe you experience loss, maybe a relational break, maybe an ethical dilemma in your career that you don't know how to deal with. And you have this moment of crisis. And as God brings you through it, one of the byproducts, at least in my experience, is that you come out on the other side, even more aware of how God is your Abba father. And so do you know God as your Abba father? Do you know him that way? Do you think of him and address him that way? I mean, I, I might encourage you to, to use the word Abba if you want. If you cannot answer in the affirmative, it could be that he is not actually your spiritual father. And here's what you need to hear from the book of John. To all who did receive Jesus, who believe on his name, he gives the right to become children of God. So if you're like, ah, I don't know if God is my father, then come to him because he'll give you that right. Through Jesus. J.I. Packer, uh, he considers the grasp of God's fatherhood and your adoption as a son or a daughter as like the central thing for you to think about in your spiritual life. He says this If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much they make of the thought of being God's child and having God as their father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship, and his prayers, and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and transcendent to the old, everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. And listen to this last sentence. Abba, Father, is the Christian name for God. That is the Christian name for for God. Now, as we've seen, Jesus' use of Father and Abba to address God, right, are revolutionary because the Jewish sort of theology of the time stresses the transcendence and the sovereignty of God. And frankly, in evangelical churches, I think we need that. We need to stress the transcendence and the sovereignty of God. That's a problem for many of us today. We, we've sentimentalized God's fatherhood so much that we have little concept of his holiness, right? He, yeah, he's your Abba, but he's still the king of the universe. M many Christians are flippantly sentimental about God. And I don't know if you've ever been in this room or been in a small group or in a prayer meeting and somebody starts praying to daddy God, but it's weird, right? It's straight. It's odd. Why? It's too flippant. 
It's not what Jesus was teaching us either, right? Jesus sort of gives us the remedy to both errors. In his opening words, our father in heaven, our father in heaven. And then he even goes on and you'll see this this week in the devotionals, hallowed be your name. So father is stressing his imminence, his closeness, that he's involved in our lives and he's to be, he's supposed to be intimately approached, right? Abba. But in heaven, stresses his transcendence. He sovereignly rules and reigns the universe. He surpasses everything that's human. He is our father, yes, but he is also our king. Both are true. So we can affectionately call him Abba, dearest father. But we do it with a deep sense of wonder and reverence and worship. Here's the way that one commentator explains it. He is our father, but he exceeds our earthly fathers in every way. Pause. <laughs> he is our father, but he exceeds our earthly fathers in every way because he is our father in heaven. He always understands. He is always caring and loving. He never forgets us. He is always patient and he always comes through for us. He exceeds all of our earthly father's virtues a billion fold. Oh, what tenderness and power the, loving, the opening lines of the Lord's prayer evoke. Our Father in heaven. Both. Now the prayer, though, begins, let's go back to the very, very first word. The prayer begins with our. Our Father. Now it's, it's, benefit, it's okay sometimes to pray to my Father or my God, right? Jesus said, my God, my God, right in that quote. And so that's not wrong, but Jesus purposely says to this group of disciples, he is our father because he wants to stress the identity of what God's fatherhood brings. You're in a family. This is the metaphor all through the New Testament. And so when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we are affirming that all of us who are Christian are brothers and sisters, and that if we love God, we will love one another. We have God as Father. We have Jesus as big brother. We've been adopted into the family, given the same rights to the inheritance. And so there is no place in the family of God for sort of our, our inherent American individualism that says, I don't need anybody else and they don't need me. That is not true. That is just not true. Our Father sort of stands in stark rebuke to those who might say that they don't need the church. The church is simply the manifestation of the hour in our Father. It's the manifestation, the expression of the hour in our Father. And so if you want to pray like Jesus, you have to be able to pray our Father, you are not God's only child, right? You're, you're not an only child in the family of God. There's other annoying brothers and sisters, and you're one too. So just a couple thoughts as we close. First, we, we approach God with confidence, right? Jesus has authorized us, told us, call God Abba Father. Don't call him distant Godfather. Call him Dad but King Dad, right? He has authorized us to call him Abba Father. God is not just tolerating you when you come pray. He is not frustrated with you when you show up and he's like, all right, what, what? That's what I do as a parent. 
But that's not what God does. The scriptures over and over tell us he delights in us. He's excited to see us. Maybe some of you have the experience of waiting for your adult children to show back up at the holidays and that excitement that I've seen so many of you display. That's what God feels when you show up. He's he's excited about it. He delights in you. And he delights to answer your prayers. And listen, I am all about the sovereignty of God. I believe God is sovereign over everything. And at the same time, I can hold that in this hand. and And in this hand, I can hold the reality that prayer changes stuff. That God can do things that blow my ideas of sovereignty out of the water. And so we come to him as Abba, Father, in heaven. Both of those are true, so we can be confident as we come to him. And second, we pray with love. So we pray with confidence and we pray with love. Those same words, Father, our Father, are words of love and affection and adoration. And so our prayers... And our worship through prayer should be overflowing with love and adoration for who he is. And what he's done, but, but first for who he is. Our Father who is in heaven, we worship you, we love you, we want to be around you, and we know that you delight in us. Let me pray. Our Father, we want to take in all that that means for us. That you are Abba that we can come to you in the middle of the night and ask you for a glass of water and you'll get up and you'll get it for us because you love us that much. And yet at the same time, Heavenly Father, help us to remember that you are the King, that you are Lord, that we submit our lives to you, that we are poor and wretched and weak and that we come to you and you've adopted us into the family and made us part of your plan to redeem and reconcile all things back to yourself, to make all things new. We get to be a part of that. It blows our minds. And yet we hold on to it as true because you've told us it's true and we trust you because you are our Abba Father in heaven. So we thank you for letting us gather together today. We thank you for another new year to celebrate together. We... Remember those who are not with us this year, that were with us last year, and for those who loved them, Father, would you be with them on a day like today when we mark time in the way that we do. And as we go out from here, Lord, we thank you for the beautiful day that it looks like we have. And Lord, I just ask that you would give us opportunities to share this love that we have from you and with one another to people that are around us so they would be able to call you Abba Father as well. We pray all this in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.